0: Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Stand and meet me in the book of Judges. Amen. Here tonight, thankful for the Holy Ghost thankful for the presence of the Lord that we have experienced today amen, I felt the Lord here today amen, through songs and through the ministry of the word I have a list here for prayer, revival, fasting amen, come see me after church if you're wanting to fast a meal Monday through Friday or a couple meals or all week we have some people doing all week, there's some taking a meal here and there, I'd love to see every spot in the next five days, breakfast, lunch and dinner or supper, whichever you call it amen this coming week along with our prayer along with our pushing away from become unconnected from this world so we can become connected to that world amen amen I'm going to be turning to Judges chapter number 6 today I'm going to read a couple of verses of scripture there Judges chapter number 6 I did not plan or intend this to happen the way it happened but this is the way it goes this morning I preached on a convinced church a convinced church tonight I want to talk to you about a consecrated church a convinced church consecrated church and if the Lord will help me I felt him prod in my spirit as I was tying up the loose ends on this this afternoon we might not be done until we talk about a contagious church <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah, Jesus. Judges 6 and verse number 25, the Bible states these words, And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, This is the Lord speaking to Gideon, one of the judges of Israel, during the time of the judges. Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old. Throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath cut down the grove that is by it and build an altar unto the Lord thy God on the top of this rock in the ordered place and take the second bullock and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove which thou shalt cut down which thou shalt cut down have a little bit to talk about I'm, I'm probably going to dabble a little bit with the condensed to lead on into the consecrated uh, here tonight. But I felt in the Holy Ghost, this this is what the Lord wanted. I felt this week God has given me certain direction, amen, throughout this week. A lot of my week for the past couple weeks have been at home uh, just due to lack of vehicles and uh, then weather. A lot of my time has been spent at home. But I've set me up a lawn chair in my bedroom and I got a little TV tray and that's been my office this week. But I guarantee you this, God is no respecter of places concerning office. My wife can testify, heaven has come down in that room more than once. And I've went to God speaking in tongues over what I feel like he's brought revelation through scripture. Amen. And so I feel like God is with us and for us. Amen. Here this evening. And I want to preach to you about a consecrated church. A consecrated church. Hallelujah. Let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Father, I come to you. God, I'm thankful. God, again, for being able to be here. I thank you, Lord, for those that have put their talents and their abilities to use, Lord Jesus, here tonight through singing, Lord Jesus, and through, Lord, playing. I pray, oh, God, and your people that have made their way to the house of God, though snow may lay on the ground, Lord Jesus, they've come here, Lord, with a mind, Lord Jesus, that's interested in the things of God. I pray, oh, Lord, today, God, as we have felt your presence and your anointing and your direction, God, this morning, let that same spirit that gave us, Lord guidance this morning guide us tonight God I need heaven to speak Lord Jesus in this place we need to hear what the spirit is saying to the church God in this hour and Lord I want to be a proper vessel and instrument God to convey it Lord Jesus for your glory and for your majesty I pray God I'll not fail to thank you God when I return to my seat tonight knowing God that your will Lord Jesus has been done in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ and I pray Amen and amen. Can everybody say amen? Can we clap our hands into the Lord right now and be thankful unto him? Hallelujah. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. Consecrated church. The book of Judges is a peculiar book. Very peculiar book. It is a book that shows the lives of humanity whenever they are separated from God. It is a book that shows what the results of doing things according to your way, to your purpose, results in the book of Judges. It's a time frame of about 450 years of time where God raised up judges to be deliverers for His people when they were oppressed, when they were tucked back in a corner, a den, or a cave somewhere, would come to their aid, raise up a deliverer at the right time whenever they need it. Perhaps there is no better telling of the book of Judges than Judges, I believe it is chapter 4, amen, or or verse number 1 rather of Judges, I believe it is, that says now after the death of Joshua, after this great man, the book of Joshua is a book that was denoted and marked as a book of conquest, a mark of the Israelites going into that blessed promised land of Canaan and conquering and overtaking all the land that had been long promised to them it was a time of inheriting what God had spoke before was rightfully theirs every place that the foot that the feet of their their, their soles of their feet would touch would become theirs and it it was the inheritance if you will the, the gaining of the inheritance that God had long promised to them And yet the problem of the children of Israel in their conquering and in their conquest as the story would go is that everywhere that they overcame, every city and every town that they conquered, there was this constant phrase that we see in the retelling of the Joshua story in the first two chapters of Judges. The first two chapters is kind of a retelling of the whole story of Joshua. And there's a constant phrase that is constantly popping up. And that is this. They would go into a city. They would go into a mountain or a plain. They would overtake it. They would overconquer it. But the phrase that reappears over and over again is that they did not drive out the inhabitants of such and such land. They did not drive out the inhabitants of such and such city. And so as a result of that, the Bible says, That the inhabitants of the land, many of which were Jebusites, many of which were Canaanites, were allowed to dwell in the land of promise that was for the children of Israel. The Bible says to kind of offset the negativity of them not driving out this inhabitants, the Bible says that these Israelites then made these different Canaanites and Jebusites tributaries unto them. But logic can tell you and I this. That a tributary in a very natural sense, like a tributary of water that feeds into another body of water. Whatever feeds into another body of water will sooner or later become what its tributaries are. Amen. If the tributary is impure, whatever it feeds into is going to become impure. If it's pure, it will, if you will, bring a certain amount of purity with it as it flows into it. And so they have these Canaanites and they have these Jebusites that... The Bible says they made tributaries, but that just goes to denote that if it was something that the Lord was against or a people that he had not smiled upon, it wouldn't take long for these tributaries to be flowing into their life, to taint everything that they had done, everything that they do, everything that they know. And so when we come to Judges, it is the story of having Canaanite and Jebusite tributaries. It is the story of not driving out those that are before you. It's a vicious cycle, if you will, of rebellion and then of oppression. And then Israel crying out for help and then God raising up a deliverer, and Israel repenting and then Israel repeating the whole matter over and over again, the Bible says during the time of judges that there was no king in Israel, Israel never had a king up to this point of time it's setting us up to look forward to a time when they would move from a judge to a monarchy but they had a king, in reality they really did, they had a king there was a theocratic rule that was among them but they were acting as though it even didn't exist Israel had no king they had failed God amen in obedience and so the story of judges is the story of humanity attempting to do the right thing or what they assumed to be the right thing in their own eyes but all the while in the end always ending up wrong. and as a result the Bible says after the death of joshua the one who led them to that land of canaan crossed over that jordan they were very successful as it would be in their conquest the bible says after his death and i've heard brother malone state this scripture several times that there arose another generation after that generation died that knew not the lord neither the works of the lord or the stories of the works of the Lord, the Bible says in Judges two ten. It states it, and also all that generation, meaning Joshua's generation, were gathered unto their fathers, or they died. And there rose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which He had done for Israel. Can someone say Amen? But in Judges six, God throughout the pages of Judges has sought out deliverers, judges at different times. Some of them have been women. Some of them had been snagged at the moment of birth or even before birth. Some of them have already been kings or judges to a certain extent, but he went seeking out for a man by the name of Gideon. God went searching for Gideon. Not just because during a time of Midianite oppression that Gideon was willing and confident enough to be threshing wine, or threshing wheat rather, in a wine press during oppression. But he went to seek out Gideon because I believe he knew that Gideon was one of the few who were left that knew the stories of God's work. Watch me now. The Bible says in Judges 6 and verse 13, And Gideon said unto him, He's speaking to someone, a visitor that he has. He doesn't recognize this as an angel of the Lord. He doesn't recognize this as someone from the presence of God. But Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then in all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us of? In other words, Gideon knew something concerning the stories of his mom and dad and of his grandparents during a time when the scripture said there arose a generation that knew not God and knew not the stories of the works of God but God among that generation that seemingly knew nothing about him and nothing about his works sought out and found a man that had some knowledge had some knowledge about who he was, but more particularly, the stories of what God had done in the generations that came before him. Gideon no doubt knew it had to be something because whenever he began to estimate himself, he told the angel of the Lord, he says, I'm of a poor tribe of Manasseh. He said, I'm the least of my father's house. I know you're not looking for me because of me. I know you're not looking for me because of the tribe I've come from or the family I've come from because we have no clout to speak of. But God was on the parale because he knew someone was there that knew the stories of old someone was there that was exposed to the miracles and the wonders of his parents and his grandparents and he said if I can find that man I might have something I can work with as long as there's still somebody acquainted with the story of old someone say amen because unlike everybody else in that generation they are without the knowledge of God they are without knowing the works of God but Gideon knew about the miracles he knew about the miracles of his parents he knew about the miracles of his fathers and so somewhere in the recesses of Gideon's mind was a story that mom and dad must have told him was a story that grandma or grandpa must have relayed to him he may not have known God in the sense that they knew God but he knew a story that left him convinced about his God he might not have crossed the Red Sea on dry ground he might not have ate manna from heaven he might not have ate quail from heaven but there's one thing he did know he knew about those works that God did because the story had been repeated in his life someone say amen and so smoldering somewhere there in the, the crevices of his mind was a man that was convinced because of the stories that had been told him about the reality of a God and a reality of a Savior, the reality of deliverer, one that could come through, one that met them in their bondage and brought them out. There's some type of convincing in the spirit that I'm in a situation now that isn't too far different from what mom and dad and grandma and grandpa was in. And if God came through from them, they said he did perhaps he will come through for me as well. Struggling maybe with a few doubts and a little bit confusion. Here's a man that is struggling but still convinced. It's not that Gideon's not convinced. He just can't make sense of everything that's going on in his life right now. But he has a story. See, in our family... In our family, uh, of Mariah and Trevor and, and Dawn and I, in our family, Trevor is the only one in our family that's never seen or experienced the ocean. He's the only one that's never seen or experienced the ocean. Amen. But he is set as a young boy right now. I guarantee if you ask him. He is set on seeing the ocean. He is set on experiencing the ocean. Why? Because we as a family at times. We have talked about the ocean. We have frequented our time when we've been at the ocean. On multiple occasions. We've showed him pictures of when we had Mariah at the ocean. And so he's convinced. That there is such a thing as an ocean and it exists and he's going to get there and he's not going to stop from believing it or convinced that he's going to get there someday because we won't stop talking about it. If we never said anything about it, if they never mentioned it in school, Trevor wouldn't be any the wiser that there was an ocean out there, that it was somewhere you could go visit, put your feet in, and feel the surf come in and take the sand out from underneath your feet. But because someone's willing to talk about it, someone's willing to rehearse about it, there's a boy that set his eye on a prize. I'm going there someday. I'm going to experience someday because I know what they've talked about. See, I believe Gideon was in a proper response. He's never experienced it. He's never felt it. But somebody has passed on the baton of a story of when it took place, when it happened, and there's something inside of him. I'm gonna experience that too. I'm gonna see that too. I'm gonna, he was convinced it would happen for him. Someone say amen. I say this to this church this evening just here as a little side note tonight amen although there may be some sitting among us that you've not seen some of the things that have been spoken about around here you've not experienced it for yourself I pray as long as I live and I know as long as Bishop lives we're going to rehearse the story rehearse the story why because if we can rehearse the story perhaps there will come something inside of you if they said it did happen then it can happen if they said it once took place then it can take place and you won't be like the others of your generation that never hear God, never see God never hear the stories of God perhaps it will impregnate you with a seed of desire oh my what are you doing in that i tell you what I'm doing by my story I'm persuading him it's there. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. It's nothing like you've ever seen. I'm convincing him. Of something that he's yet to experience. and I'm not doing it in a false manner. As though it's not there. But I'm convincing him. By my story. That it is real. And it's worth if you have the ability to. To reach out. And obtain. So if you're not experiencing what you have experienced in God, please parents and grandparents, don't stop telling the stories. Don't stop telling the stories because by virtue of your story, that might strike, if you will, a spark in a young person's heart or in a child's heart that says, you know what, I'm not going to quit in my service and my dedication to God until we see that thing recreated. To find himself a Gideon. Someone that had a heritage. Of people that kept the stories alive. Concerning the works of God. And that individual that was convinced in his mind. But fighting and struggling with some doubts. Was so. Listen to me. Was so valuable. So valuable to God. That God thought. He was worth waiting on. He was worth waiting for that whenever he left he was worth waiting on till he got back watch me now judges 6 verse 17 Gideon has this guest doesn't realize this guest is angelic doesn't realize this guest is the angel of the lord he's speaking to him having conversation to him throwing these things around about where's where's the works where's where's the works now i've heard of them but where are them now and the Bible says, and he, speaking of Gideon, said unto this guest that he doesn't know is an angel. He said, if now I have found grace in thy sight, then shew me a sign. All of you this morning, some of you ain't going to understand this. See the podcast winner it gets up. You know what Gideon was asking for? He said, show me a finger of God moment. He said, show me a finger of God moment that can't be refuted. That will convince me again of the stories that I heard. But they are without, without any controversy. They are true. He said, show me a sign that thou talkest with me. Now look at verse number 18. This is interesting. And Gideon says, depart not hence, I pray thee, until I come unto thee and bring forth my present and set it before thee. And he said, this is the angel of the Lord. I will tarry until I come again. Gideon is in the presence of the angelic, but he doesn't recognize it. Gideon says, I'm going to go. And you just stay right here. And Gideon, the value of a man that was convinced was so important to God. He says, you go on and leave. I'll be waiting for you when you get back. You go on and go. I'll be waiting right here whenever you get back. See, up to this point, Gideon doesn't realize he's having a visitation from an angel of the Lord. He doesn't realize he has a visitation from heaven. He doesn't discern that this thing that is speaking to him is angelica. But Gideon leaves to prepare some meat and prepare some bread for his visitor. He's just showcasing all the means of hospitality that one would provide for a guest that has come to them. All the common acts of hospitality. And so Gideon leaves what he doesn't know is the angel of the Lord. Most likely because he didn't realize it was the angel of the Lord. I mean, who in the right mind is going to leave an angelic visitation to go make some toast and cheese? He's leaving the presence of the Lord because he doesn't realize. It's the presence of the Lord. And yet still, the angel of the Lord says, you go on, you struggling, convinced man. You go on. You go on and leave. And I'll wait for you until you get back. I'm not going anywhere until you come back. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying this. God saw enough value in Gideon enough value in Gideon because he knew about God's works and he was convinced about God's works so much so he wanted to see them in his day because he asked for a sign. He meant God saw Gideon as valuable because he knew that Gideon was conscious about the works of the Lord and God was willing to wait on Gideon whenever Gideon even didn't recognize the presence of the Lord. I ask this congregation this question tonight how many times do you think God has waited on us until we got back because we've left his presence before we knew what we were right in the middle of, before we knew that you know, I'm telling you, Brother brother Terry, God had seen a convinced man here. And he says, I see that man is convinced. And I'm going to allow him at times even to leave my presence when he doesn't recognize it. But I'm going to stay right where I was until he shows back up because his convincing in his spirit is valuable enough to me that I'll wait on him i tell you there's some sons and daughters in 2018 I feel in my spirit that somewhere along the road they've left angelic visitation but God says I'm going to stay right here and I'm going to wait on them because what they have is valuable enough to me and that is a dream for the vision and the stories of yesteryear. Amen It's the angel of the Lord Some even believe it was The often meaning that it was God Manifested in the presence Of Gideon It's a manifestation Of God It's only after the angel of the Lord <coughs> spoke to Gideon, you can read it in, in, in Judges 6, told him how to lay the meat, how to lay the bread upon the stone, and that a fire came down and consumed it. That then Gideon realized, this has been the presence of the Lord. I've been entertaining. If I may, from this morning, I'm sorry for all of you that wasn't in here. In other words, Gideon, that was his moment this has been my finger of God moment that reignited reconvinced him afresh Gideon did as several of the forefathers before him when he realized he had been in the presence of the Lord the Bible says at that very moment at that very spot that he built an altar unto the Lord Called it Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. Right here, spoken about the peace of God, he spoke about. Right here, he put an altar into the Lord. Follow me here now. Talked about the convinced church this morning, but tonight I'm talking about the consecrated church. Gideon, building an altar here. That's all fine and well. But Gideon, it doesn't measure up to much when there's foreign altars back at your house. I commend you for recognizing my presence. But this only stacks so high in my eyes when you got foreign altars back at you, your house. see Gideon had asked this visitor who was the angel of the Lord he had asked this visitor for a sign while in the presence of him before he knew he was in the presence of an angel he had asked it for a sign Gideon got his sign Gideon became convinced amen but God shows up this night and he relays unto Gideon the second part if you will Gideon, I'm not just interested in a convinced people, but I want a consecrated people as well. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. I'm not just interested in the convinced, I'm interested in the consecrated. Gideon, I appreciate your altar that you made out here in public where my spirit came down and gave some type, if you will, interaction with you. I appreciate your altar that you've made in public. But what about the other altars you've made in private? I know it was funner this morning. I'm sorry. But what about the other altars that you made in private? Thank you for recognizing my spirit, Gideon. Thank you for recognizing my spirit out here in the public. Amen. But what about cultivating that same spirit in your home? I mean, Gideon, how flattering really can the public altar be right here when you got foreign altars to other deities back at your house? I love that you're convinced, but are you consecrated, Gideon? Gideon you're convinced I've seen that that's what drew me amen to you that's what caused me to wait for you I know that you're convinced but are you convinced enough to be consecrated both in your public life and in your private life are you convinced enough to be consecrated both at church and at home and at your business and at the grocery store are you convinced and consecrated enough to live this here and live it there to live it where everybody can see you and live it where nobody can see you to live it where everybody that's like you is around you and living in front of those that are not like you are you consecrated enough see because what God required of Gideon In this moment was more than the first base approach that he had required of Israel when they initially walked into that land of Canaan started inheriting the allotments that were giving to them see what was about ready to happen here God needed a convinced Gideon to succeed where Israel had failed He's seeing, Gideon, are you going to be able to succeed where the nation failed? Because in the beginning of Judges, Judges chapter 2, you're going to read verses 1 through 3, Israel failed. First, they didn't drive out all the inhabitants of the land. Also, they failed because they made these foreign people, these pagan worshipers, tributaries to them. They failed because God had said, do not make a league with these people. This is the other words that God said. He said, and throw down their altars. Throw down their altars. But the Bible says plainly, they did not obey. And as a result of it, The the gods, the people, the Canaanites, the Jebusites of the land became a snare to Israel. But now Gideon is in a similar spot that Israel was as a nation. God is coming to him now. Gideon, you are convinced, and I like that, but I need you also to be consecrated. And this was the word of the Lord to Gideon. Gideon, I need you to throw down. I need you to throw down the altar of Baal. I need you to succeed where Israel failed. I need you to be consecrated. I need you to throw down the altar of Baal, and I need you to cut down the grove which was usually dedicated to another false god of Asherah. I need you to throw down the altar and I need you to cut down the grove that's at your daddy's house. Uh, Someone say yes. We're talking about consecration tonight. But then, you throw down the altar bell, you cut down the grove of Asherah, but then I need you to build, I need you to build an altar unto the Lord. Tear down the false altar and then build an altar unto the Lord in its place. See, God's word is very specific here. It goes a little further than what he went with Israel. And Israel even didn't get the tearing down the altar, the false altars right. The Lord was very specific here. Tear down the altar of Baal and build up the altar of God in its place. Listen to me. Because consecration isn't just about what you tear down in your life. It's about what you build up in your life in place of what used to be there. Oh, yeah. And I believe sometimes that we've not failed in tearing things down, but I do believe we've failed in building things up. We've tore a lot of things down, but we've not replaced it with altars unto God that we've built up. We've went through and we've cast destruction of all the mayhem of sinfulness out of our life, but we've failed in allowing anything to come in and take its place that's godly and wholesome and holy to be built back up where that thing you... Consecration involves tearing down and building up. And God wants a consecrated church. In other words, when we have neglected to build up altars of God in our life, we've neglected totally con- consecrating. It's my experience demolition is easier than construction There'll be people all day long tearing down altars of unholiness, tearing down altars of cheating, tearing down altars of lasciviousness and all the other garbage that goes on in the world. And we'll tear them down. Demolition sometimes is easy. Amen. But the hard part is building up. The hard part is going to your place of devotion. The hard part is interchange with God at his word. The hard part is building things back up. But honey, you've not proven yourself fully consecrated till you've torn down and built up. This is what the month of January is about we've done some tearing down but we need to build up some things in its place we gotta go and fast we gotta go and pray we gotta we gotta consecrate see it doesn't boil down to simply that God just doesn't want you to worship or sacrifice to other gods doesn't just boil down to that. It's not that he just doesn't want you to sacrifice and worship the false gods, but that that he wants and desires you to do those things unto him. He's not against altars. Only those with no connection to him. See, our, our mainstay in the book of Judges chapter 6 and 7 concerning the story of, of Gideon is mainly this. Our mainstay for the story of Gideon is this. Preachers to come along and how highlight how he became victorious over the seven year Midianite oppression just with a ragtag group of 300 soldiers and they came blowing their trumpets and had the pitchers and they had the lamps in the pitchers and they broke them and they came forth with pure victory with just 300 men and God gave great victory that day through the hands of the judge of Gideon. That's our main that's our go to in these verses but can I relate to you tonight that the true victory of Gideon is not found once they got on the battlefield it was found in his place of consecration Gideon won the battle at home before he won the battle on the battlefield Uh, now somebody didn't hear me right then I said Gideon won his battle at home before he won his battle on the battlefield we're fighting a lot of battles uh, on the battlefield that we don't have any consecration at home to back up or give us the weaponry that we need on the battle uh, God needs a consecrated church It's a consecrated church. Gideon, I want to know about your consecration. Thank you for building the altar in the public, but there's some things at home. Oh, thank you for tearing down the things at home, but what have you built up in their place? So it's not only about what you build up, but it's what's left standing at home. And it's not about then just what you tear down at the house, but it's what you build back up at your house. Am I doing okay? Watch this. I want to help somebody. I don't want to be up here just a big minus sign in front of services here today. Just some cloud of negativity over you. God. Had some lessons to teach Gideon. In his tearing down of the foreign altars and his building of the altar of consecration unto the Lord. He had some lessons, probably several, but I'll I'll share two. Two lessons that God wanted to convey unto Gideon. Lesson number one in this consecration, Gideon. Lesson number one. Don't waste the years of your oppression don't waste the years of your oppression look at the word of God Gideon go to your home go to your home and grab that bullock even the second bullock that's seven years old do you know how many years Israel had been under Midianite oppression seven seven years what that means sister Rhonda is this the same year they fell under oppression is the year that Bullock was born in the house that for the past seven years, they nurtured. For the past seven years, they fed. For the past seven years, they fattened. All the long being under the thumb of oppression. All the long being tucked back in a den in a cave because of the circumstances of life. But God is saying in this moment of time, everything that you've invested in the bullock during your seven years of oppression. You don't get the one that three years old, don't get the one that was just born. You get that seven year old bullock that you've been under oppression seven years as well. You get the one that you've been nurturing the whole time you've been under oppression. And that's the one I want you to put on my altar. Gideon, don't you get out of your oppression. Don't you come out of oppression with nothing. Don't you come out of your dilemma with nothing. Don't waste the years that you were in the den, in the somebody not hearing me, we sometimes are walking out of our oppressive states empty handed God says don't you dare do that don't you dare waste the oppressive years, you nurture something during that time, you fatten something up during that time, that when the time comes and there's reconsecration, you can lay on the altar what you have nursed during your years of dilemma, during your years of trial, during your years You take that seven-year-old bullock, you put it on mile. There's something I want you to learn about consecration, is that in consecration, you don't have to allow years of oppression to be wasted years. there's some there's some in here that may may have fell away from God some you know in the past year or your fire is just not as hot as it used to be and God is calling to you tonight in this first month of January of 2018 to a place of reconsecration but God doesn't want you to come empty handed sir he doesn't want you to come empty handed ma'am he wants you to bring out the animal that's the same age as the years that you've been in oppression and he wants you to put that thing on the sacrifice and say you know what God you know what God all of those years were not wasted Years. I, I know I was topsy turvy up and down, but here's something right here. Here's something. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Honey, that's a fat bull, seven year old bull. That's a fat bull. Honey, that's a bunch of bull they're putting on the altar. Listen to me. It's this action that's initiating victory in his home. It's this action that's initiating victory on the battlefield he's yet to get to. Where did the sacrifice come from? His years of oppression. I can't drill this enough in your head tonight. God says, I got another lesson here for you, Gideon. Everybody okay? Talk, I need a consecrated people. I need a consecrated church. Gideon, here's my other lesson for you. In this time of consecration in your home, in your house, your father's house. Everybody listening? Gideon, make your past mistakes. Everybody hear what I just said? Make your past mistakes work for you and for the glory of the Lord this seven year old bullock as sacrifices normally were done had to be laid upon some wood Whew. whenever Gideon tore down the altar of Baal he tore down the grove you can look it up, it's wood, it's tree he tore down the tree of Asherah beside it God instructed Gideon You take the wood from the grove and you place it under the bullock and you set it on fire. (laughs) Having the grove erected in the first place, that was a mistake. But God says you use your your past mistake to stoke the fire for your consecration now. What you cut down over here, that was a mistake. You used that to keep the flame burning under the sacrifice unto me now. You use that as fire for consecration. This is people I'm looking at in the faces of tonight that you've made some mistakes. You've made some faux pas. There's some things in the past year or two years that you're not very proud of. It makes you cower. It makes you think you can't consecrate to God. You can't live for God. You can't pick back up from where you were. But I come to tell you tonight that God has asked you whatever you've tore down as a mistake from yesteryear, you use that to stoke the fire of your consecration for this next year and the year to come. God does. Does not want you to waste your oppression, and God does not want you to not allow the mistakes of the past to work for you now. You get it. Well get him. Where'd you get that wood? from last year's mistake? I don't understand it, brother and sister. How in the world are you so consecrated right now? Because I used the mistakes of my past to stoke the fire of my consecration. Let me tell you, some people have been so good at doing that that their 10th year in living for God, they are still burning the mistakes of their past. Amen. To flame the fires of their present day consecration. You say, well, Brother McGee, I've made a lot of mistakes. Well, that just means you got a whole lot of wood for your present-day consecration then. That just means you have a lot of tingling and timber for the present-day consecration. He wants a consecrated people, a consecrated church. You stand with me. I'm going to try to close it. This morning I went long. So God seeks out and finds a man that's convinced because he has the stories of his parents and grandparents. He says, I can use a convinced man, but I don't just need him convinced. I need him consecrated. And he takes him to task. listen to me I know we said this before but it's good to say again I believe the scripture bears it out right here in Judges 6 God wants a consecrated church because we have proven we could be consecrated when we were in the world to the world watch me now this is my proof text Okay, Judges 6 verse 28 after Gideon's tore down the altar, he built an altar to the Lord. Put the seven-year bullock upon it. Had the wood of the grove as the wood to ignite the fire under it. The Bible says he was afraid of his family. He's afraid of what they might think. So rather than doing it at day, he did it at night. Well, man, there's ripples in the water. I guarantee you it's going to happen. But that's what happens when you start taking care of business at your house. It's not always smooth getting things back in alignment at house I guarantee you this though they'll never be in alignment here unless they get in alignment at the house look what happens the Bible says in verse 28 Judges six twenty-eight. Mariah if you can put it up there for me the Bible says this is after all the tearing down everything happened at night the Bible says and when the men of the city arose early in the morning behold the altar of Baal Was cast down and the grove was cut down that was by it. I'm asking you to think. I know it's Sunday evening and I'm asking you to think, but think. How is it or why is it that these people recognize the altar of Baal early in the morning that it's cast down and that the grove is cut? Here's my theory. Because they went early in the morning seeking their pagan altars. And so when they rose up to do their regular consecration for that day unto a false god, they realized, behold, the altar of Baal was cast down and the grove was cut. So this is what I ask. If they could be consecrated to a false deity, how much more should we be consecrated to a true God wants a church that's consecrated because He has people not under the umbrella of the church that are consecrated to their own things. I've heard some of y'all say it. I've heard some of y'all testify to it. We didn't leave the saloon till late at night. You were consecrated. You were consecrated. You would spend X amount of money on alcohol or drugs, Mike Trout. You were consecrated. God doesn't expect anything less. God doesn't expect anything less of your time or of your resources. just a little heavy right now just a little bit heavy right now listen to me you can go on and play there'll be people sacrifice their families for their addictions for relationships outside of their marriage they'll sacrifice their families But nobody wants to come to church when companies come to the house. Or they haven't been around for a while so you know we're going to stay home and be with them. God doesn't just want to convince church. He wants a consecrated. A consecrated church. We bow our heads all across this place tonight. God's asking us as assembly tonight. Are you tearing down the false altars at your home? If so, great. But are you building up any altars unto me in your home? Are you just building altars in the public? Are you just building your altars among the fanfare of people? But then holding and protecting foreign altars in your house. I want a consecrated people. I want a consecrated people. I pray tonight that you allow the word of God to challenge you. Not just to be convinced. But that you would be consecrated. There's some people in this place tonight that need to do some tearing down foreign altars in their home. There's some people here tonight that have successfully done that that need to move to stage two and they need to build up some altars in their house. There's some people that need to understand the reality that the years of them doing wrong, that there needs to be some sacrifice from all that, that God's enabled them to nurture and fatten during that time of trial and trouble that they can throw on their altar they made to the Lord, that they can take their past mistake and allow it to stoke the fire for their present day consecration. God is speaking to people tonight. God is speaking into the lives of people tonight in this building. He has knocked at your heart's door tonight. He has spoken to your mind this evening. You have identified with some of the things that have been said here tonight and seen where a change needs to happen or where some alteration needs to be made. I'm asking you this evening to respond to what you feel. Respond to the knowledge that you have gained and allow God, amen, to be one that you are consecrated to. Halabah shataya folks this is just not another Sunday night service this is not Pastor McGee up here butting the ball let me tell you I've squared my shoulders back because I felt heaven wanted a grand slam tonight for somebody so for somebody so for somebody so for somebody so for, somebody so. for the church for well, the consecrated people a consecrated church Oh! Come on, somebody needs to drag some of their past mistakes to the altar and start a fire tonight. Somebody needs to pull some of their past mistakes to an altar and start a fire tonight under their sacrifice that's on their altar to the Lord. Amen. To stoke the flames of their consecration tonight. Somebody needs to drag that old seven-year-old bullock. However many years it's been. It's been three years since I've really been in tune with God. You need to bring in a three-year-old bullock. Whatever it is, you need to bring in. Amen. Something that equates to the years of your Trouble, the years of your trial, the years of your oppression, and you need to throw that thing on the altar of consecration unto the Lord tonight. Let's sing. Oh, come on, church family. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username F-A-C-M-C. Again, that's F-A-C-M-C.